1: Now, why are these things so dangerous to us? Because they turn our minds away from the plain truth, and they, they give you, and here's a great danger, they give you a thirst for what's sensational. Do you understand what I mean? There is a thirst you can get for the sensational, where you want to go deeper and deeper into that. It hurts your appetite for the Word of God.
2: I recently read that Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. was a doctor and was very interested in the effects of ether on his patients so he had someone administer it to him. Just as he was going under, he had a profound thought that he believed was the key to unlocking all the mysteries of the universe. However, when he awoke, he could not remember it. So he repeated the process, this time with a stenographer to record what he said. As before, just as he was losing consciousness, the great thought came to him. The stenographer recorded every word he said, When he awoke, the stenographer read back to him his great utterance. The entire universe is permeated with a strong odor of turpentine. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is near the conclusion of a series of lessons on successful Christian living in an ungodly world. Like Dr. Holmes, most of us have a tendency to look in the wrong places for the answers to the truly great questions of life. We will not learn the meaning of life in a philosophy book or any other human source of information. The answers lie not within ourselves, but in the Word of God. Mankind has forever been entangled in endless debates about things we either do not need to understand or we cannot understand. Our study text is Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Let's go there now to see why we should avoid foolish controversies.
1: Now, folks, the reason, and this is where it ties into evangelism, the reason that foolish controversies are to be shunned is because if you embrace them, then you fall into the devil's trap of replacing evangelistic efforts and resources with stupid debates that don't amount to anything. There's only so much time, only so much energy that we've been given God doesn't want us to focus on these ridiculous things that are fascinating and interesting, but they would lead us away from evangelism. And that's where many believers are. Listen, by way of application, you and I need to be careful about this stuff. You and I need to be careful about those who would like to argue about unimportant things, even if it relates to, to theology, unimportant things of the faith. How many hours have been wasted by Christians arguing minute points of theology. How many hours have been wasted by, by minuscule details that could never be settled? They could have been evangelizing the lost, but they love to debate. I agree with Warren Wearsby, who wrote this about people who argue. He said, I have learned that professed Christians who like to argue about the Bible are usually covering up some sin in their lives are very insecure and are usually unhappy at work and at home. And and you see, these arguments become a substitute for true spirituality. i met people like that. They want to debate and argue about peripheral issues, and when you try to deal with the heart, they'll change the subject. They They don't want to do that. They don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. They want to debate. You know why? Because it makes them look spiritual. It really makes them look spiritual. They like to win arguments as well. Paul says, shun that stuff. And let's not miss Paul's point. While it is true that all false teaching is foolish, that's really not Paul's primary point here. His primary point is that it would be foolish to engage in discussions about this stuff. It's a waste of time. That's what's really foolish. It would just be a waste of your time. Listen, I urge you, don't spend your time in debating over theological theories. Don't do that stuff. God wants us to evangelize and if your time is taken up with these fruitless discussions, you will not evangelize. So the first specific error going on is foolish controversy. Secondly, Paul says genealogies. Now, what does he mean by genealogies? Because you might think, well, I thought genealogies are good. They're in the Bible. I don't understand them, but they're in the Bible. Well, genealogies are are very important if they're inspired and they're profitable for us. In fact, um, genealogies teach us the the um, uh, messianic line of Jesus to prove that he is truly Messiah. Uh, genealogies were important as far as the priests and, and kings of Israel and there's lots of good, uh, profitable Bible study from, from looking at the genealogies, but that's not what Paul is talking about. What he's talking about are genealogies that uh, were speculations about Old Testament genealogies. In other words, myths and legends woven into true genealogies. The Jewish people would come up with elaborate stories that uh, maybe had some truth to them, but they were woven into true genealogies, but they were legends and tales that they just made up to to make things look a lot uh, a lot more interesting. In fact, I remember years ago, uh, an uncle of mine, who comes from an Orthodox Jewish background, said this. He said this as I was a believer. He told me, he said, have you ever heard this story about King David? And he went on to a whole, whole thing about King David, and I thought, nobody's ever heard this story about King David. And no, it's certainly not in the Bible. But you see, where did he come up with that? Well, those are Jewish myths and legends. And it was interesting and uh, but but that that must have been kind of what Paul was talking about to take genealogies but mix it in with these legends and tales and embellishments and they would have all these discussions on this stuff Paul says Titus as interesting as these fanciful tales are and they must have been very interesting don't even investigate them don't get into that stuff because they are of no value to you or the body of Christ now, why are these things so dangerous to us? Because they turn our minds away from the plain truth and they they give you, and here's a great danger, they give you a thirst for what's sensational. Do you understand what I mean? There is a thirst you can get for the sensational where you want to go deeper and deeper into that. It hurts your appetite for the word of God. Let me let me give you some examples of uh, sensational stuff that Christians get off on when well, they want to be evangelizing. Uh, we've had a, a whole splash on television lately, and in the media about UFOs. Is the government trying to cover up something? And uh, isn't that interesting? That's the whole point. It's very interesting. And before you know it, you can be reading books on that stuff. You can be discussing that stuff. You can uh, you can really get into that. Is there a conspiracy out there? Are there really aliens? Have we have, do we have somebody we're keeping in the desert somewhere? Uh, that's fascinating stuff. That's the kind of stuff Paul's saying. Don't even investigate, because you get a thirst for more of that. There's a new book out called The Bible Code. Maybe you've seen it, where um, where this man, I think these two men, have uh, uh, through computers have have uh, claimed to crack the code of the Bible, some hidden mystery uh, like we didn't know for thousands of years without a computer. You know, now we can finally figure out the hidden message of the Bible. You know what? It's a bestseller. And there are Christians who are even going to get into that. And before that, there was, I think, um, um, a rabbi, a Jewish man, who did this without a computer. And people love that kind of stuff. Oh, there's a there's a hidden message uh, about hidden hidden message in numbers. There's numbers that tell us hidden messages. And you know what? That stuff is fascinating. It's fruitless, though. It's fruitless. There are no hidden messages there. Like you had to wait a few thousand years until somebody came up with a computer and then you, you then you can finally understand the real message of the bible how about this sensationalism is there uh life on other planets and i've i've heard christians discuss this and they go it really gets to be an exciting discussion why or why not what are you going to do with that stuff you're just going to talk about it, and then when you finish with one person, you'll talk to another person about it when you ought to be evangelizing. That kind of stuff is dangerous, and you may think, well, that's that's peripheral stuff. Yeah, but let me tell you what we tend to do. We tend to discuss issues about prophecy that, that become sensationalizing when the Bible doesn't tell us all about prophecy. How about this? Have you ever heard a discussion of who is the Antichrist? Sure, I have. Everybody from the, the king of Spain to Henry Kissinger is the Antichrist. Everybody, you name it, he's it. The Bible doesn't say who it is. The Bible says in the tribulation, it'll be revealed then. Nobody knows who it is. But there have been whole books written about that stuff. Or how about try explaining the number 666? What does that exactly mean? Is that the uh, numeral equivalation, uh, uh, equivalence of a man's name? And then if it is, what language is it? Because there are numbers given to names. What language are you going to do? Is it Hebrew? Is it Greek? Nobody knows, except God, until the day reveals it. But Christians get off on that stuff. They get off on all kinds of prophetic issues. Um, is the Antichrist, is he a person? Is he a computer? What's going to happen? And you know what? Uh, that's interesting, but leave that stuff alone. Leave, that's what Paul is talking about. There is a... a thirst for sensationalism that we are told to avoid it's just like the myths and legends built into the genealogies interesting fascinating pure speculation don't even don't even deal with it you are disobedient to the scriptures if you begin to get into that stuff paul said titus shun that stuff just shun it A third error that Paul speaks of. He speaks of strife and disputes about the law. Now, what's he talking about? According to Titus chapter 1 verses 10 and 11, let's look at that. He said, for there are many rebellious men. This is why you need elders to protect the flock teaching truth and contradicting error. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. What Paul is saying is, Titus, you have, and when he says of the circumcision, there are, most of these teachers were, false teachers were Jewish, and they were going into homes and teaching error. It must have been about the Mosaic law, disputes about, and strife about the law, and they were doing it to make money. They were like giving private lessons, and here's my fee—that that type of thing. So most of these false teachers must have been Jewish, and therefore it only makes sense that their controversies were about the Mosaic law. Now, what were what were these controversies about? Uh, nobody knows for certain. It's it's common sense. Common sense would tell us that most likely it had to do with what was a Christian's relationship to the law of Moses. The early church struggled with that. We do today. We don't need to, but people do. That is to say, do, uh, do Christians need to follow Old Testament laws given to Israel? What's our relationship to the law? That's, that must have been what they were debating because that's throughout the scriptures was, a, reveals that that was a major issue. And you know what? That major issue is still with us today. There are Christians who are still discussing, still arguing about this. Let me, let me give you some examples. You'll hear from Christians how uh, it's wrong to eat anything other than the Jewish dietary laws. You'll hear that. You'll hear people saying, you'll hear reputable Bible teachers telling us that we are to practice the law for health reasons. And because the law says this, the Jewish people had to do this, and, and they'll tell you it's wrong to eat pork, you can't have this, you can't have that. Uh, they'll also say um, there's big debates even now. Somebody asked me just the other week, what about the Sabbath? What about the Sabbath? Do we keep the sabbath? Shouldn't we worship on Saturday? Big debates about that. And how about this? Jewish feasts. Should we keep the Passover? Should we keep the Day of Atonement? Should we keep other uh, other Jewish holidays? Oh, what does the scripture say? You know, in Acts chapter 15, it settled the issue. Acts 15 settles the issue. In Acts 15, both Peter and James at the council in Jerusalem said, we ought not to burden the Gentiles to keep the law. We couldn't even keep the law. We're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, and that's the message. Law is over. In fact, the, the book of Hebrews, which I'll be teaching for the Moody Evening School, the message, one of the main themes of the book of Hebrews is that... Um, the old covenant is ended. The Mosaic law is over. That's for Israel. The, n- the new covenant is for the church and eventually will be for Israel once they accept the Lord just before or just before Christ returns. The law is over. Now we're to keep the morality of the law because that never changes and that's reiterated in the New Testament. But the ceremonial legal stuff for Israel is over. The Sabbath was for Israel. It's over. In fact, Titus had personally experienced these disputes in Galatians 2. You don't need to turn there. Paul said that these legalists, these Judaizers, as he calls them, wanted to make sure that Titus was circumcised. Titus was, was not Jewish. He was uh, Greek, Gentile, wanted to make sure that Titus was circumcised. And Paul said, never. I wouldn't compromise that. He didn't need to be because we're saved by grace, not by keeping the law. But these people were having disputes. And listen. You you are going to be tempted to have disputes with people about that. Um, you're, there are there are believers, especially Jewish believers, and there are some who are uh, Jewish wannabe believers, who uh, will argue and debate that you got to go back to the law. On occasion, uh, people visit our church and interact with me being Jewish, and they want to, well, how could you be in this uh, arena in the church? Why aren't you in a messianic synagogue? And they want to just drag us back into the law. The law is over. It was for Israel. Let's not engage in disputes about that. The truth is the truth, and don't get caught up in, in all those all those things. You're saved by grace, and we're kept by grace. So Paul's strong words to Titus and to every believer uh, is this. Avoid and shun these controversial speculative issues. Don't debate them with false teachers. Don't, don't get into it. Don't get into it. Why not? Because he goes on to say, as we go back to Titus 3, he says, for they are unprofitable and worthless. They're worthless. They are an exercise in futility. It won't help you spiritually. It'll only hurt you. It'll hurt your appetite for the word of God. You'll get an appetite for the sensationalism uh, of that kind of stuff. And when you get caught up with that stuff, you won't care about evangelism. You know what you care about? Winning debates. Really making yourself look good because it's a self-centered trap that Satan has. You don't think it's that dangerous because you're on the side, you're on the side of truth. Yeah, but now you, it's fruitless. It's not going to help you spiritually. It's going to give you an appetite for the wrong things and it's a waste of time. Waste of time. So the first threat to evangelism is false teaching. You are commanded by God's word to shun that stuff. Don't become an expert on false teaching. Of which many Christians want to do. Well, I'll just learn what the world thinks. Very dangerous. Secondly, the second threat to evangelism is uh, is this factious people. Verse ten tells us about this. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Now, the first thing that we need to decide, it's an interpretation uh, decision, interpretive decision that we need to, to uh, have at this point, is what does Paul mean exactly by factious? Because it may be a little confusing to some of us, since the King James Version does not translate it factious, it translates this word heretic. So what is Paul referring to? Is he referring to a divisive individual? who we would say is factious, or a heretic. What is a heretic? Someone who holds to a false doctrine outside of the realm of biblical orthodoxy. What's he referring to? Well, let's 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 look at this a little bit. The Greek word originally meant to choose. It just meant to choose in the sense of choosing to believe something or an opinion. I choose to believe this. I have an opinion about this. But as the word developed, and that's how language is, words never stay the same. They develop. As the word developed in, in the language, it came to mean one who not only followed or chose to believe in a teaching contrary to God's word, but now he caused division in the church by gathering around him other people who held to the same belief. And, and that's really how Paul is using it here. He's not talking about so much a false teacher. He's talking about someone who has um, listened to the false teaching And someone who is now causing division, professing believers in the church, who are now causing division by embracing these speculative, foolish controversies that were being propagated by the false teachers. Now, the principle, though, the principle goes far beyond false teaching and speculative controversy. The principle is this. It applies to anybody who's divisive in the church. God is very, very concerned about division in the church. And what are we to do with the factious or divisive individual in the church? Not just divisive in the sense of false teaching. could be divisive in the sense of gathering a little clique around himself, uh, putting, um, putting one elder above another where I'll follow this guy but not this guy, uh, a bad attitude, things like that, where, where now it spreads. That's why this is so dangerous. And what are we to do with someone like that? Well, Paul says in verse 10, Reject him, reject this kind of person after a first and second warning he's to be warned two times by the leadership of the church, lovingly, patiently, kindly, but very firmly and if um If after two times he doesn't repent and change, then the Bible says he's to be rejected. What does Paul mean by reject? I take it he means church discipline. put him out of the uh, out of the fellowship of the church. Can he still attend? Sure. Sure, but he's not considered a part of the membership, not considered a part of the fellowship. He's a spectator. He's not a part of the church. That's how serious this is. In fact, Paul clarifies this. Let's look at Romans chapter 16. Division is very, very serious. Romans chapter 16, Paul said basically the same thing. Verses 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions, dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Reject them. Don't fellowship with them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. In that context, he's probably speaking about false teaching. In Titus, I take it he's talking about believers in the church who were embracing false teaching. And they may have been unbelievers too, but for the most part, I think he means believers. Now, why are divisions and dissensions to be treated so strongly? And, and really, how does this pose a threat to evangelism? For this reason. The unity of a church is absolutely necessary. The spiritual unity of a church is absolutely necessary for evangelism. You can have no effective evangelism if a church is divided. Why? Well, let me give you let me give you a great, great statement from the Lord Jesus himself. If we are a divided church at each other's throats and not showing love to one another, then we need to very closely listen to the words of Christ in John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What a simple but profound truth. And when the world sees us loving one another, serving one another, esteeming one another more important putting our own preferences aside for the preferences of other people, then the world will take note that we're far different than they are, that we're different than any other organization. We are a body of believers who are disciples of Jesus Christ who loves.
2: There is an apparently true story about a professional hockey player who used to get into a lot of fights. One day, his daughter put a stop to his fighting with a very simple question. She asked, Daddy, how can you score goals when you're always in the penalty box? I would ask of fractious Christians, How can you evangelize the lost when you spend so much time arguing among yourselves? And a second question would be, Why would anyone be drawn to Christ by the example of your life? On our next verse-by-verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will conclude this three-part message from Titus chapter 3. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These broadcasts are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry funded by the gifts and encouraged by the prayers of God's people. Pastor Steve would like to share some thoughts with you about how and why you might become involved in this ministry.
3: I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff, and it's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you receive on verse by verse. We believe that the Word of God has answers for problems. We know that life has stresses, life has pressures. We're looking for answers. We believe that the place to look is the Word of God, and we are uh, grateful every time we hear that someone is listening to the radio and uh, our program has been transformed by by scripture because uh, the word of God is not only inspired, but Paul said it is profitable and it will transform lives. So we're grateful that uh, we could come into your home, into your car and, and help you deal with life's pressures. If you've been blessed through verse by verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727- or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758.
2: If you would like to learn more about Verse by Verse, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. Not only can you learn about us and how to keep these classes on the air... You can listen to or download today's lesson or any of hundreds of previous ones. The web address again is verse by radio, all one word.org. Our class today was the middle of a three part message. You can listen to the entire message at one time by ordering a CD or cassette. To do so, just call us at 727 239. 0306. Call anytime and if you get the answering machine, leave your name and phone number and we will return your call during normal business hours. That's seven two seven two three nine zero three zero six. The great English preacher George Whitefield disagreed with John Wesley on some theological matters. but he was careful not to create problems in public that could be used to hinder the preaching of the gospel. When someone asked Whitefield if he thought he would see Wesley in heaven, Whitefield replied, I fear not, for he will be so near the eternal throne, and we at such a distance, we shall hardly get sight of him. May the Lord instill in each of us a spirit of loving unity that binds us as one body united in the truth of the gospel. Join us for the next Verse by Verse and the conclusion of Pastor Steve Kreloff's study on godly living in an ungodly world.